Monday edition of the We Tackle Life podcast, a March 1st edition, coming in like a kind of a cross between a lamb and a lion today, but uh, don't worry, we'll have more cold weather and probably more snow in March, but uh, boy, speaking of cold, the Ohio State basketball team has gone cold, so we're going to discuss today here in the podcast, are the Buckeyes in trouble? Are they fading? Are they overrated? Do they not like each other anymore? All that talk about chemistry and the magic and the mix and how everything fit together. And they had so many different options and so many different lineups and so many different guys who could come forward. Where's that gone? We will discuss that today. And a faith portion that addresses one of the popular descriptions of Christianity. And I'll explain to you, uh, why we are, we being followers of Jesus Christ, why we are the way we are. And hopefully that will increase the conversations between us and those who have yet to come to the faith. So we want to thank you for uh, watching. Please tell your friends about the podcast. I'd appreciate it. And uh, also, if you'd like to leave me a review on iTunes, that'd be wonderful. Or send me an email. We tackle life at gmail.com. We tackle life at gmail.com. I'm Bruce Hooley. Appreciate your time. Uh, in about two weeks, I'm going to be on a podcast called Sports Spectrum, which is a uh, kind of a thing that we do here. We mix sports and we mix faith. So I'm looking forward to that. I'll give you the details on that as that comes about. Of course, you can catch me in the afternoons on 98.9 The Answer on my radio show, 5 to 7 p.m. And uh, also, one other thing, if you are a high school sports fan in Columbus and you've grown frustrated with the situation in newspapers where the games aren't in the newspaper and you can't figure out why doesn't the dispatch cover high schools anymore. It's because their deadlines have moved way up and it's really not worth their time. Uh, good news. The Ohio Capital Conference, the uh, schools like Watterson and Hartley and Reedy and schools like uh, Worthington Christian and Harvest Prep, uh, they're covered now by the site that I work for and that former dispatch preps writer Steve Blackledge uh, is now writing for us at PressProsMagazine.com. So dial that up. We don't cover it like a newspaper. We don't cover every game, but we highlight games, and you're going to get a lot of OCC coverage in the tournaments as they unfold. Okay, as we begin, before we get into Ohio State, a reminder, one of the executive orders Joe Biden signed is opened open enrollment again for health insurance. If you intended to look at it in December and did not, now's a great time to do it. It's open, I believe, throughout this month, but Get with auiinfo.com, auiinfo.com. There you see the AUI logo right behind me on the screen, auiinfo.com. Chrissy, Steve, uh, Julie, their entire staff, it's a 17-person operation, so they understand small businesses, they understand individuals, they have families themselves. So you're already paying for a health insurance consultant in your policy. Go to auiinfo.com and ask the questions that you want asked about Copays, doctors, hospitals, benefits, all those things. As I said, you're already paying for a health insurance consultant that's in the cost of the policy. You just don't know it. So avail yourself of auiinfo.com and their expertise and end up with the best health insurance, auiinfo.com. And yes, business owners, they can help you put together a great benefits package, dental, vision, disability, all those things that you're trying to attract great employees, auiinfo.com can get it done. All right. Wow. 73 to 57, Iowa over Ohio State. I actually expected this. Ohio State hasn't played what I would consider a real clinker of a game, an awful game in a while. Third game in eight days. Emotional losses to Michigan last Sunday at Michigan State Thursday night. 
and Iowa on Sunday. Now, here's the thing. Do you excuse away three straight losses because at this point in the season, nobody wants to be playing three games in eight days? Everybody's tired. Everybody's legs are shot. You're practicing a minimal amount of time. You got to be respectful of the kids' energy and their physical health. Ohio State's not really healthy. C.J. Walker's hand's still not right. Kyle Young has lower leg issues. He rests a lot in practice. Seth Towns' knee, it's starting to bark back at him. So they're not in great physical condition. Then you throw three games in eight days together. And, oh, by the way, it's against number three Michigan, number nine Iowa, and a very desperate-to-get-into-the-tournament Michigan State team that had won two in a row, had beaten Indiana on the road, had beaten Illinois at home, and, yeah, they got some really questionable calls at Michigan State, including, you can talk about judgment calls all you want to, but how do you blow a replay of whether the ball is out of Dwayne Washington's hand on a three-pointer or not? Do your eyes work? Well, obviously, you're a Big Ten official, so the answer is no, so they didn't allow that three by Dwayne Washington. And I know it's not as simple as saying, well, I had three points to Ohio State's score because of when that happened in the game. But still, that's a big, big officiating error. So coming out of Michigan, emotionally, they're down. They arch rival, la, 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 all that stuff. Then they go to Michigan State, and they had the lead 49-40, and they screwed around and didn't win the game. Ref's fault, their fault, they didn't win. So now they're doubly down. All right, I know Iowa wasn't as, wasn't fresh yesterday because Iowa played Thursday night at Michigan and got hammered, and they had an emotional uh, blow in that game. They lost Jack Nungy, their really good stretch four for the season with a meniscus tear. All right, but Iowa, having lost to Ohio State before at Iowa City, having already weathered its difficult part of the schedule where it lost three out of four, Iowa came in more rested and more motivated. Now, there's no excuse for Iowa being more motivated. But if you can think back in time, it is not uncommon for Ohio State or any Big Ten team to have a period in their Big Ten schedule, 20 games, where it just is really tough sledding. January of two years ago, Ohio State lost, I think, six in a row, maybe five of six, Last year, same thing. And then the schedule softened up, and they were able to build momentum two years ago going into the postseason. Last year, remember the Washington Post simulation of the tournament had Ohio State winning the tournament. Now, I don't know if they would have. I kind of doubt they would have. But still, they were playing really well at the end of the year because they'd had a chance to get their legs back at the end of the year where you pause for the Big Ten tournament and you play that weekend, but you're pretty fresh for the NCAA tournament. And the schedule wasn't as daunting. Right now, this is a perfect storm of bad. And you didn't have to wait until they lost to Michigan to see it coming. You saw, I, anybody who looked at the schedule, once teams started to sort of identify who they are, you could tell, wow, Ohio State end of the season, that's going to be tough. Michigan, and then at Michigan State, and then Iowa, and then Illinois. And I know Iowa and Illinois are home, but... It's not like they're getting any advantage out of that building anymore with no fans in it or relatively few fans in it. I believe if they had fans in the building, they would have beat Michigan. I don't know if they'd have beat Iowa yesterday, but if you beat Michigan, you're in a different mental place, okay? Now, if there were fans in the building, would they have won at 
Illinois, Iowa, and Rutgers, and Wisconsin? Yeah, I kind of doubt it. So it all washes out in the end. Here's my overriding takeaway of what I'm seeing with Ohio State. They're tired. They're playing really good teams. And is this something that tells me, well, they're not a, they're not a Sweet 16 team. They're not a Final Four team. Honestly, I never thought they were a team that you should look upon and grade as to whether or not they get to the Final Four. That's usually the measuring stick in college basketball, unless you're like a super team. This year, if Gonzaga doesn't get to the Final Four, that's a major failure. If Baylor doesn't get to the Final Four, that's a major failure. But for Ohio State not to get to the Final Four, is that a major failure? No. If they get to the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight, I think they've had a really good year. Now, um, do they have flaws, though? Are they vulnerable? Yeah, they do. You know what the flaws are. The flaws are size inside. They don't have a shot blocker. I know. E.J. Liddell can block shots, and uh, Zed Key occasionally blocks a shot. But a rim protector, do you look at anybody on Ohio State's team and say, oh, you can't take it in the lane there? No, you don't, because Illinois has Kofi Coburn. Iowa has Luka Garza. Michigan has Hunter Dickinson. So three of the teams that are vying for first place in the Big Ten, and Michigan's pretty much got it locked up, they have three of the better bigs in all of college basketball. Like those three guys could be their first, second, or third team All-Americans or honorable mention All-Americans, I guarantee you. So that's a problem. When other teams in the league have a certain thing you don't have, you got to bang with those teams. Now, it's not something that Ohio State can't overcome. It is a truism as well that if you have to guard Hunter Dickinson and Kofi Coburn, he's got to guard you. He's got to guard EJ Liddell, and EJ Liddell can take you out on the floor and hit shots. Or he's got to guard Kyle Young in the low post, and then whoever they put on EJ Liddell is somebody EJ can take advantage of. So it's a give and a take thing. Gary Williams used to always say, yeah, we're playing three guards. Okay, so what? We got to guard them. They got to guard us too. So I don't think right now it's panic time. Certainly not for me. Maybe for you as a fan, you're looking at Illinois and going, oh, Illinois is going to beat them. And Illinois may beat them. I don't know if Io DeSomo is going to play on Saturday or not. He was out in their game at Wisconsin. They ended up winning that game without him. By the way, how about Travis Trice? 19 points in the last two minutes for Wisconsin, five for five on threes. That was crazy. So uh, do I think Ohio State it has hit the wall? Eh, no, they brushed the wall. <laughs> you know, at Indy, sometimes a car will brush the wall. They're not out of the race, but they got to go in for adjustments. Right now, Ohio State brushed the wall. They got like a bent steering column. They got to go in and some adjustments. And the number one adjustment they need is rest. They need to rest. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if Chris Holtman gave him two days off. I know he's got to give him one. He might give him two days off. He might bring him in the second day only for film because they just need to be off their feet for a while and get their energy back. They had no bounce at the start of that game yesterday. You could see it. They were not sharp, crisp, the same Ohio State team that typically brings it and brings it hard. They did not have. So, uh, I'll pause here, give you a few more thoughts on the Buckeyes as we go forward because it's time for me to remind you the other sign behind you. Ah, see, everything's backwards when you do it on camera. 
Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. Yes. Which way? Hemisphere. 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 No, Hemisphere. Where are you, Hemisphere? There. It's over there. HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Uh, they have this flavor right now. Did you miss this on the Friday podcast? Bourbon Barrel Coffee. Bourbon Barrel Aged Coffee. It is, I'm sure, awesome. It comes from Nicaragua, and it has oak, caramel, sweet, and nutty notes with the essence of fine bourbon. They actually take the beans, put them in a bourbon barrel, and roll the barrel out up and down the hallways of Hemisphere Coffee Roasters facility in Mechanicsburg, Ohio. You can stop in. They'll show it to you. Or order online, HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Use the promo code we tackle life in all caps to get 15% off. Of course, their delicious Hunter's Blend, House Blend, Java Blues, Jamaica Me Crazy, all their other great flavors that you know about, and their chocolate. My daughter made gluten-free, sugar-free brownies with one of their Cocal chocolate bars, and they were delicious. They were moist and all that. So uh, their chocolate uh, made from uh, the Cocal cover crop of coffee in uh, various locales around the world it's sugar-free, gluten-free, non-GMO, blah, 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 blah. Every free and non-buzzword you want, that chocolate can suffice. So HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com, awesome people, awesome mission. Buy direct from growers around the world, Nicaragua, Indonesia, Thailand, and source it directly to you. So HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. All right, let's talk about some individuals on the Ohio State team. EJ Liddell. Two points yesterday in the second half. Ohio State got within two. They needed EJ to be big. He wasn't big. Justice Suing had, uh, by all accounts, you look at his numbers, 12 points. Okay, that's a pretty good output for Justice Suing. Justice Suing has uh, not been recently the player that he was when Ohio State was really hot and uh, winning those games impressively at Illinois and Wisconsin and Rutgers. <clears throat> I can't figure Justice Suing out. There's no excuse for him being tired because he's a mature player. Played two years at Cal, set out a year here. He's in his fourth year of college basketball. This is where a guy with four years of experience should be coming on, being a leader, being consistent, being a guy you can count on. He's really not that. So he looks like he's gained weight to me, too. He just doesn't look, I don't know if it's the hairstyle or what, but he just looks different to me out there. Doesn't have a whole lot of go get him. Now he's a Hawaiian, so he's got the, you know, hang loose thing. He's probably a low key kid, but I would like to see him be more assertive in the lane. He's very nifty when he drives the ball into the lane, pivots well, finds space to free himself for the shot. I don't think he's a guy that I'm comfortable with taking uh, more than two or three threes a game. He hit a couple yesterday. Good for him, but justice suing, they need more. They need more from justice suing. Dwayne Washington didn't have a good game yesterday. Uh, I don't know if Zankel was bothering him from Michigan State. I don't know if Iowa's defense was the reason. Dwayne didn't have a good game. He didn't drive the ball into the lane yesterday like he's been doing, but there's Luca Garza waiting for you to drive into the lane. So that's a problem when the other team has size. Uh, Dwayne is going to be fine. He's streaky. I mean, he just is. Like, would I love Dwayne Washington to be a guy who every night you know he's going to be 15 to 24 points? Sure, who wouldn't want that? But Dwayne is a guy who is, you know, 17, 15, 25, 4. Just who he is. About every fourth game, Dwayne's going to shoot a lot and not score a lot. So in those nights, 
the place where he can improve is to realize that he's not on and get to the free throw line because he's really good from the free throw line. He turned it over four times yesterday. C.J. Walker turned it over four times yesterday. You got eight turnovers out of your backcourt, probably not winning. So both those guys need to be better. C.J., again, fifth-year player, do not get two fouls in the first three minutes. You're back in the lineup. I know you're keyed up. I know you're excited. You want to play well. Okay, but you can't get two fouls that are just completely avoidable. The first one, you foul Luka Garza in the low post. All right, I get it. You want to keep the big man from scoring? Well, then, keep the big man from scoring. Don't give him a three-point play, which you did. And then you get one. You can't be, you know, Aaron Kraft Jr. out there on the perimeter crowding Brian Bohannon and inviting the official to call foul on you, which they did. So then you leave the game, and oh, guess what happens? Iowa runs out to an 8-10 point lead. Now you're playing from behind, and it just was a bad day for C.J. Walker. I know he scored in double figures. I know he had a couple layups in that run that got him back within two early in the second half. Can't have it. Can't have your point guard in trouble. Don't we all remember? Mike Conley, foul trouble early, 2007 National Championship game. There goes the title. Your point guard has to be smarter than that. Has to be. And he has to be circumspect with the basketball. Word of the day, kids. Circumspect. Means careful. Respectful. CJ was not yesterday, and they paid the price for it. They just did. All right, who else? Justin Arns. Where have you gone, Justin Arns, right? Justin Arns missed three threes a game. That was always, in my opinion, fool's gold. If the other team wants to take Justin Arns out of the game, I can't think, and I don't mean this as a criticism, it's fact. You know, I facts don't care about your feelings. Justin Arns is the easiest player who's who's capable of making an offensive contribution, a significant offensive contribution. He is the easiest Ohio State player to remove from the equation because all you have to do is face guard him. He's not going to get a shot off. Now, that has a cost. So Justin Arns has value, even if the other team is face guarding him, but he's not yet a put-it-on-the-floor guy, get-his-own-shot guy. So until he becomes that, he will always be what he is, which is a really excellent spot-up shooter, but he has to have room to get it off. And Michigan State was not going to let him have room to get it off, and Iowa was not going to let him have room to get it off. If you watch the final play at Michigan State when Dwayne Washington drove to the rim, he beats Jeremy Langford. He's got a clear, semi-clear lane to the basket. And Justin Arns is in the right corner, and his defender, in a typical, you know, help defense situation, is going to come off Arns and cut off Dwayne Washington to the basket. Northwestern, Ohio State ran the exact same play, and they came off Justin Arns, and they kicked it to Arns, boom, and he nailed it, and that gave him the separation in their home win over Northwestern. But Michigan State's not going to help off him. And they didn't. So he didn't get the pass. He didn't get the shot. Ohio State didn't win the game. Iowa yesterday, having got burned by Justin Arns for 29 points three years ago, it's not going to come off him. And so I'm not like knocking Justin Arns. I'm just saying there are games where if the other team decides we're face guarding him, he's not going to contribute 
points, but he can contribute, Chris Holtman word here, gravity, which is a force that draws the defense to him. Now you've got more space on the floor. So he has benefit, but of course at the other end, you have to balance, do we want to play Justin Arns just to gain space offensively if we're giving up something defensively and not getting points out of him? And sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes the answer is no. So he has gotten off three shots in the last two games, and he's made one. So that's not a terrible percentage. But um, what are teams going to do with him the rest of the way? He hit some big threes at Illinois. And, hey, he made a nice defensive play at Illinois. He stole the ball, went down, relocated, got open for a three, and hit it. So I'm not down on him. I'm just saying he has limits. And the other team has identified those limits, which it doesn't take a rocket scientist to do. And they are not going to allow Justin Orange to contribute nine points a game like we got used to him doing. Okay, who else? Zed Key. Zed Key's hit the wall. He's hit the wall. Now, he's not out of the race. He can get up. This happens to a lot of freshmen. You say, well, didn't happen to Hunter Dickinson. Did you see him? Yes, I did see Hunter Dickinson. And you know what Hunter Dickinson has that Zed Key doesn't have? 21 days off from a COVID break at Michigan. Let me correct a misnomer out there. I've heard Vital say this. I've heard other analysts say this. And it is 100% wrong. Oh, wow. What Michigan is doing in light of being off three weeks for COVID is just amazing. They couldn't practice for three weeks. What, did they forget how to dribble a ball in three weeks? They were all working out. On their own, none of them were sick. Any coach in the Big Ten Conference who's got a good team, a veteran team, and Michigan's a very veteran team, if you went back to Chris Holtman right now and said, hey, would you take a two-week break for COVID if none of your players are sick? That's important because you don't want it running through your team. None of their players at Michigan had COVID. It was an athletic department pause because of covid around the program, but not in the program. There's no coach in this league that wouldn't take that. And Juwan Howard, who does nothing but whine for every whistle that blows against his team, Juwan Howard will never admit it. Oh, that was really tough. No, it wasn't. That's why Hunter Dickinson's fresh. That's why all the legs on Michigan are fresh right now. They got three weeks off. They practiced on their own, of course, but it's not the same as having a team practice. They were doing video sessions. They were meeting. They just got the rest that Ohio State needs right now. And there's not a team in the league that wouldn't have taken that. Well, Zed Key hasn't gotten that rest. Eugene Brown hasn't gotten that rest. Nobody on the team's gotten that rest, but nobody needs it. Well, maybe Kyle Young needs it more than Zed Key, but Zed Key and Gene Brown are used to playing 25 high school games a year. They're not used to playing basketball at the level they've had to play, and Zed is, he's not dead. He's not, Zed is not dead. This is not Pulp Fiction 2, but Zed Key is not able to give them what we grew accustomed to him giving them in early January. Most freshmen come back from this. I expect Zed Key will come back from this. But at this point in time, Zed Key looks like a tired basketball player to me. All right, who else? Uh, but, 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 but we've hit Liddell, Washington, Key, Arns, Walker. That's pretty – oh, Seth Towns. Okay, Seth Towns, for a while there, you didn't know if Seth was going to be 
Zero or double figures. Zero or double figures. Seth Towns now had five straight games, three or fewer points. I'm not sure you can count on Seth Towns for much the rest of the year. He just looks to me like a player who is really struggling. And I assume that's knee-related because we've seen flashes of him make shots. But have we really seen anything else out of Seth Towns other than him make shots? I would argue no. He's really not good defensively. Again, that could be the knee. He's not explosive. He's nifty offensively. He gets off shots that I don't think he's going to get off, and he makes shots that uh, are difficult to make. He's a very um, inventive player, but he's not a high riser. He's not fast. He's not quick. And I, I'm hoping that's just the knee, but it just may be who he is. It may be why he was an Ivy League recruit and not an elite Big Ten recruit coming out of Northland High School. So we'll see. Could Seth Towns have a game where he really gives him a shot in the arm? Sure. But is that something you can necessarily count on coming off the bench? I don't think I see evidence of that right at this point in time. So that's my assessment of Ohio State. I felt going into this four-game stretch, nobody would say it out loud, but if you would have said to Chris Holtman, all right, here's the deal. You've got Michigan at home, Michigan State on the road, Iowa at home, Illinois at home. You can go two and two. Will you take it? Before you said, will you take it, he would have said, I'll take it. A two and two record at the end. So they can get one out of the four Saturday against Illinois, and then they'll have another five or six days off before the Big Ten tournament, off of playing, not of practicing. And that'll be good for them. But is the world over if they play Saturday against Illinois and they don't win the game? Well, how do they not win the game? Do they get beat by 16 again? Or do they get beat like they got beat against Michigan, going down to the final two minutes, make a dumb turnover, and give Michigan separation? So i got to see how it happens. But, hey, Illinois is really good. And Illinois' record is almost exactly the same as Ohio State's. It's a little bit better in the Big Ten, but it's about the same overall. There's no comparison between Illinois' talent and Ohio State's talent. Illinois has far better talent. DeSumo and Coburn are two players that are better for what their role is than anybody Ohio State has. Liddell's good. Don't get me wrong. Washington's good. But on Illinois' team, uh, you know, you. You look inside to Coburn, and DeSumo's got the ball most of the time. So Illinois has two better players, and they got really good complementary players around them. So Ohio State has, in my opinion, the best coach in the league to get out of this team what he's already gotten out of them. And I tweeted yesterday before things got out of hand against Iowa, first TV timeout, I said, they don't look like they have any bounce today. This looks like an Iowa route to me. But as long as Holtman's on the bench, I never count him out because he can pull a rabbit out of his hat. And then early in the second half, I'm like, wow, he's going to do this again. Well, he's got to have a little something to work with in terms of energy, and he didn't have it yesterday. His team was out of gas. So that's what I see with Ohio State. And um, I'm not panicking yet. Check back with me a week from today after they play Illinois, and I'll have more thoughts on where they are. Uh, Willis Spangler Starling is the official attorney firm of this podcast and of the Bruce Hooley Show on 98.9 The Answer. Appreciate you guys keeping them in mind. Uh, you do not want to wait until you need an attorney to look for an attorney. Um, I read a statement this morning. The time to dig a well is not when you're thirsty. 
And that's true. Prudent planning is important. And to protect your legal rights, you want an attorney firm on, at least in your mind, you don't have to pay them anything to be, you know, your firm of choice. Just resolve right now. Hey, I'm going to mark that in my mind. Maybe write that down. Willis Spangler Starling. When I have a situation, a personal injury situation, a wills, estate planning, probate, employment law, workers comp, that's where I'm going to go because I've been hearing time after time after time on the podcast that they're Bruce's attorney and they do great work and they view their mission in life to apply their legal acumen to serving others. So that's who I'm going to go with. And you'll make a smart decision. Willis Spangler Starling, online, willisattorneys.com. Their location physically is Truman Boulevard in Hilliard. In the faith portion of the podcast today, I wanted to share with you why uh, Christians view the world and cultural things in the world the way we do. We are in my church, Northwest Chapel in Dublin, 6700 Rings Road, we are in my Sunday school class at the moment studying how we can share our faith more effectively. So uh, the Great Commission is uh, the charge Jesus gave his disciples, of which I am one. Not one of the original 12, not that old, but I am a disciple of Christ. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, teach them to obey my commandments, um, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's our charge, is to share the gospel, bring converts to the gospel, enrich people's lives by imparting uh, the love of Christ and the joy of knowing that your eternal future is settled because you put your faith in Christ. Okay, so in the course of figuring out how to do that more effectively, how to engage with the culture, how to engage in conversations with people who don't believe that the same thing that we believe— we have to figure out, well, who do they think we are? Okay, so who do people think Christians are in the world? And a lot of the people in the world. And it's shocking to see the numbers in the United States of America. More people are not, not people of faith than are. That was not the situation when I was growing up. So the church is shrinking. People's devotion to the church is diminishing. So we're not doing a very good job as disciples fulfilling the great co mission, our mission with Jesus. We're not doing a good job or we'd be growing. The church would be growing, not shrinking. Why is the church shrinking? Because a lot of people view Christians as, eh, fill in the blank, dogmatic, intolerant, intractable, hateful, uh, judgmental. You know where I'm going, right? Because when people hear Christians talk about the lifestyles that other people are engaged in or the practices that other people make a part of their life that, that people would say, well, this is what gives meaning to my life. Uh, my, my greed gives meaning to my life. You know, piling up riches, buying a bunch of cars, going on big vacations. I don't have time for Christianity and I don't want to deny myself and I don't want to give my money to the poor. I want it for me. I worked hard for it. I'm going to keep it. That's one aspect of life today. Another aspect of life today is, well, I, I don't want to get married. I just want to live with whoever I happen to be sleeping with at the time. Or, yeah, I'm married, but, you know, we got pretty some pretty nice-looking uh, guys at work, or we got some pretty nice-looking women at work, and I like playing the field. And so, yeah, I'm married. I like some of the conveniences of marriage, and I like that. But I can't restrict myself to just one other sexual partner. That's a view. 
some people in the world have. And there are others who are like, well, look, I'm, I was born gay and I have same-sex attraction. And I know what the Bible says about same-sex attraction, but this is how I feel. And God made me this way. And so I'm going to act on my same-sex attraction. Or I was born a, a, a boy. I was born a man. I have male genitalia, but I, th- I really think I'm a woman. I think God made a mistake here. And, and you know, I don't know why he made a mistake, but I'm going to be, I'm transgender. So those are just, and there's a million of them. There's a million. I, I like eating. I love food. I, I don't want to be uh, restricted in my, uh, my uh, gluttony. I want to, okay, so I weigh like 300 pounds. I don't care. I like donuts and I like pretzels and, you know, whatever. There's all these things. And the reason I put gluttony in there, or I, I, I lie to people, but, you know, it's just a little white lie. And yeah, I'm not really a truthful person, but it really helps me get ahead in the business world. Or, yeah, I, uh, I turn in an expense report. I fudge from time to time. I, I, my breakfast didn't really cost fourteen ninety nine. My lunch didn't really cost fourteen ninety nine. But yeah, it costs like six bucks. But eh, what's it hurt the company? They're a million, multi million dollar company. Uh, who cares if I pocket an extra eight ten bucks on a meal and in the course of a one week expense account? Uh, yeah, I probably pad my expense account by a hundred bucks or fifty bucks or whatever. But you know, they don't really pay me what I'm worth and. I'm not, I haven't gotten a raise in a long time, so this is my way of kind of getting even with the man for uh, cheating me. They're cheating me, so I'm going to cheat them, and it all works out in the wash. So the reason why I put all those things together, uh, homosexuality, transgenderism, uh, adultery, lying, uh, gluttony, uh, all these things, why I put them all together is because all of them fall under the umbrella of sinful behavior. All of those things are things that God does not want you to practice in your life. Okay, so I'm trying to get to the point where uh, you say, now, while you're being awfully judgmental, Bruce, you're being awfully uh, intractable, you're being kind of hateful. You know, when you speak, Bruce, about people who are uh, homosexual, I mean, you sound really hateful. Well, I don't intend to sound hateful. I'm not condemning the person. I'm condemning the lifestyle. And you know what? I've been, throughout my life, trapped in behaviors that are sinful behaviors myself. So not in terms of like homosexuality and stuff like that, but my language goes to crap from time to time. My impatience gets out of hand from time to time. My attitude toward others is not loving, is not accepting, is not forgiving. And all these things are on a plane that is even in terms of how God views them. He does not view like, oh my, well, you say, wow, murder, wow, murder is awful. It's not as bad as lying. Well, you know, we view it as not as bad as lying. But if you look at it in terms of a pass-fail grade with God, and I'm not suggesting that you should go out and murder someone and it's the same as lying. I'm just saying all of it, all of it falls short of how God wants you to live. And so... I mean, does it really matter how far you fall short? You just fall short. You're not covered for that sin in your life. Again, you know, obviously murder's terrible, but a murderer and a liar in terms of just the binary decision, are you um, going to spend eternity in heaven? The answer is no for both unless either one has accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior or her Savior and then attaches Christ's perfection 
to themselves. You're, Bruce, are you saying that a murderer who genuinely repents of their murder and accepts Christ as their Savior and puts their trust in Christ at the cross, that a murderer would get into heaven before somebody who is a homosexual or a liar or a glutton or somebody who's impatient or somebody who just lives a, a life where they're not even doing anything that anybody else in society would think is bad, but they never make a decision for Christ? Yeah, that's what I'm saying, because that's what the Bible says. Don't blame me. I'm not in enforcement. I'm in marketing. I'm not in enforcement of the gospel. I'm not the one who decides who goes to heaven and who doesn't. But I know what the Bible says, and I know what Jesus said. And he said, he who dies without the Father is separate from the Father. There's one name given to men by which you must be saved. That's Acts 4.12, and that name is Jesus Christ. Your whole eternal destiny boils down to what you've done with Jesus Christ. Have you accepted what he did for you at the cross or not? His death at the cross and resurrection is like he presented you, each of you, a gift card that will get you into heaven if you accept his sacrifice genuinely. It's not a thing like, yeah, I'll take that. That makes him your savior, but then he has to also be your Lord, the ruler of your life, the ruler of your behavior. Now, you don't obey all the behavioral things in life, all the mood things in life like cheerfulness, gentleness, patience, self-control, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the outgrowth of accepting a true acceptance of Jesus Christ as your Savior, gives you the gift of his Spirit inside you, the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit is. And that Holy Spirit impresses upon you cognitively, wow, I'm going to be spared the penalty for my sin because of what he did? Whoa. Well, I want to thank him for that, so I'm going to live the way he wants me to live because look what he did for me. Like That's the gratitude you feel, and the gratitude, the understanding of forgiveness changes you, not your own strength. You can't do it in your own strength. Believe me, I tried it for 30-plus years, miserable failure. Okay, so back to the, well, why are you so intolerant? Here's why. And we're not intolerant, but here's how I answer that question. I have, Bruce Hooley has, in talking to a person who's a congenital liar, cheats on their expenses, cheats on their wife, cheats on their husband, is engaged in a homosexual relationship, transgenderism, whatever. All those things are sin because they are less than the way God wants you to live. Why does God set out in the Bible ways for you to live after you come to Christ? Because God is, if you filled in that blank with the word love, ding, 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 you get a gold star. God is love. God doesn't just love. He is love. His very essence is love. And so this will blow your mind, but it's true. God does not love. Let's take, because I'm not a good example. 
let's take the most obedient Christian in the world. Let's say, let's say he were still living, Billy Graham, okay? I think most people would say, yep, Billy Graham's going to heaven. God, when he was living, God did not love Billy Graham any more than he loved the world's worst serial killer. And you're like, well, that's bogus. There's no way that's true. No, that is true. God loves, God's love for every person is fixed. It cannot grow. It cannot diminish. He does not love you because of what you do for him. He loves everyone the same. And that is why he sent his son to die for everyone, no matter what they do. He makes available acceptance through Jesus Christ. Now you say, well, then I'm going to accept him and I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and keep cheating on my wife. I got the Jesus card. No, that shows that you didn't have an authentic coming to Christ. You were not really repentant of your acts. Repentance is not sorrow. Repentance is not, hey, I'm sorry I did that. I'm going to go back and do it again. Repentance is changed behavior. I've been doing that, but I am so thankful for what Jesus did for me that I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to change my behavior. And the change is not brought about by my own strength. The change is brought about by Christ living in me. His spirit lives in me. So back to the original reason we started this little portion of the faith segment of the podcast. Why then, Bruce, do Christians speak out against things that, you know, I mean, if a gay person, live and let live, right? Transgender person, person cheating on their spouse, person lying, person cheating on their expense account. Who are you to judge not, lest you be judged? That's one of the most misused scriptures in the Bible. What that scripture means is don't judge by a standard you're not prepared to be judged by. Doesn't mean you're not supposed to judge. I mean, everybody knows murder's wrong, right? Oh, don't judge. No, you can judge because are you comfortable being judged by that standard? Yeah. Yeah, I won't murder anybody. Trust me. So the reason why Christians speak out against these things is not because we hate people, not because we're intolerant of people, it's not because we're bigoted, prejudiced. The reason why we speak out against these things is because we know they are not how God wants you to live, to enjoy the bounty of a life where you are joined with him in perfect relationship. See, y'all think we reject certain behaviors and practices because we're just hateful people, spiteful people, judgmental people, intolerant people. No, the reason why Christians speak out against behaviors that the Bible says are not God's design for your life is because we want you to experience what we have experienced. We have all, before coming to Christ, tried and experienced the emptiness of all those things that people chase to make them happy. Happy is a dangerous word. People say, ah, I just want to be happy. Well, 
Most of the time, people who say they want to be happy will never be happy because happy is related to happenstance. Happy is circumstances. What are my circumstances? Do I have a lot of money? Uh, do I have a lot of, uh, you know, relationships that fulfill me sexually, psychologically, emotionally? Uh, do I have prominence? Do I have power? Okay, then I'm happy. Well, what you find a lot of times is how many of those quote unquote happy people who have a bunch of things that you wish you had from the outside, you see them and you go, well, they don't look very happy. They're kind of a train wreck. They, uh, take drugs. They do this, do that. They're always griping about something. They're always striving for more. They never seem to, they never seem to be fulfilled. They never seem to be, here's the word, content. Contentment is different than happiness. Contentment is a mindset. It is resolving to prioritize your relationship with Christ, your relationship to God, above everything else. And they could throw me in prison tomorrow. They could, something horrible could befall my family tomorrow. Something unforeseen and awful could happen to me tomorrow or to any Christian who's authentically living for Christ. And you could still never take away my peace, my relationship with Jesus. You can't take it away. You can't touch it. You can't get your hands on it. And for that reason, Christians have a contentment that we want the world to experience. Because all those empty things that other people are doing are things we've done. We've done them too. And we know that they don't do what people strive for them, invest in them, seek them to do. We know they don't do it. And so we have a better way, a more fulfilling way that we want you to experience. And you say, well, how do you know you haven't tried it? I've tried all the things you've tried pretty much. I mean, there's some things I haven't tried, but I've, you know, I've tried do Here's what I know I've tried that you've tried. If you haven't come to Christ, I've tried doing it myself. I've tried doing it myself for a long time, many different ways. I tried doing it myself and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And then on December the 22nd, 1996, I opened my Bible for the first time in my life, truly seeking what's in here. What does everybody else have that I don't have? And I found the simplicity of the gospel. And if Jesus is going to hold everyone accountable for what they do with the sacrifice he makes available to everyone, it would stand to reason that the, that the decision, the presentation of the gospel has to be so simple that everybody can understand it, right? Like, it wouldn't be fair to grade everybody by a calculus equation because I'd be lost. I could never figure the calculus equation out. Or a scientific formula. <laughs> if I had to look through a microscope and see it, all I'd ever see is my own eyeball, right? So the gospel's got to be simple enough that everybody in the world can understand it. And it is. God is perfect. He has a standard that is perfection and nothing else. 
No one can meet that standard. So Jesus came, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, and lived a sinless life, died on the cross as payment for all my failures. And all I have to do is claim that and let him change me from the inside out, and then I'm acceptable to God. That's a transaction everybody can understand, right? If you went out to breakfast and you pay and you you ate breakfast, then you'd go to the cash register and you'd pay for breakfast. You'd have to pay for breakfast, right? But if you went to breakfast with the owner of the restaurant and he went to the cash register with you and he goes, he's with me. The cashier would go, oh, okay. And you wouldn't have to pay because the owner of the restaurant has authority over that restaurant. Same deal. God has authority over all of eternity. And if you go to him alone, he's going to say, pay up, pal. Oh, you can't. But if you go to God at the end of your life and you say, I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. I let him rule my life. I let him set the tone for my life. I let him, he paid for all my mistakes. He did it. All him. Don't look at me. I'm ugly. I'm, I'm, I'm failed. I'm flawed. Don't look at me, please. Look at him. He's perfect. He was perfect. He was perfect for me. He came to die for me. And I'm, I'm attaching myself to him. And God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. So that's the faith presentation today. And I had a bunch of verses in uh, Proverbs 28 that I wanted to read to you, but I don't think I really uh, need to. Actually, Proverbs 29. Um, but I think I spoke pretty clearly today on what it is, and hopefully you understand now that Christians are not intolerant. We have a better way. We have a joy, a fulfillment, a peace that we want you to have. And that is why when we see you engaged in things that Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, described as chasing the wind, did you ever catch the wind? No. And so chasing your tail, however you want to look at it, trying to bring fulfillment to your own life with things is emptiness, frustration. And the only way is to trust Christ in your life, to settle your eternal destiny. And it gives you such a peace that it's, well, the Bible says it. It passes all understanding. It surpasses all understanding. Jesus said, I came to set the captives free. I was a captive to chasing things for happiness. I came to give you life more abundantly. And it is more abundant in Christ. So that's the gospel presentation today. Thanks for your time. I appreciate your time so much. Would love to have you leave me a review on iTunes. Would love to have you send me an email, wetacklelife at gmail.com. You can support the podcast on Patreon if you like. But thanks so much for your time, and I hope you have a great day. Um, don't know if I'll have one on Wednesday because there's no Ohio State basketball game, but we'll see, see what comes up. Uh, until then, God bless. <laughs>